Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders as we are about to begin the fourth quarter of the regular season for Ohio State. Nine games in the books, just three more regular season games to go. Andy, doesn't it feel like it flies by faster every year? Oh, it absolutely does. You know, I'm uh, I can remember my first days on the beat uh, working as an unpaid intern way back in 2018 and then at the Lantern. And, you know, that it's it's hard to believe that this is my fifth year and that my fifth year is almost coming to an end. I mean, the Michigan game is two weeks away from Saturday, so uh, it's been flying by. Yeah, we were talking about earlier. I think it's 17 days from today is the game. You can think of that countdown clock in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. It's getting closer and certainly uh, a lot of talk about Ohio State, Michigan right now uh, with uh, the continued uh, sign stealing scandal that continues to dominate the headlines in college football. Uh, We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so it's certainly possible that by the time you're listening to this on Wednesday that there could be more developments in that case. But we're going to focus more on the football side of things today. Uh, And we'll start out by talking about Ohio State's game against Rutgers, which uh, certainly was not the prettiest of wins for Ohio State. I feel like we've said that a lot this year. It's kind of been the theme of the season for this Buckeye team that uh, things don't always look pretty. Uh, The offense certainly is not as dynamic as what we've seen from Ohio State in past years, but the defense has been dominant. They've consistently made the plays that Ohio State had needed them to make, and the Buckeyes keep finding a way to win. They even found a way to cover the spread in this game, uh, beating Rutgers by 19 points. And so, uh, you know, I think when people think of an Ohio State-Rutgers game, it's natural to expect a blowout because that's been what's happened in all the other Ohio State Rutgers games. But I don't, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I picked a 31 to 10 uh, score going into this game and it ended up being fairly close to that. And so I don't think anything that happened on Saturday shocked me. I think the reality was Ohio State was facing probably the best Rutgers team it's ever faced. Uh, Rutgers gave Ohio State a competitive game. Certainly a lot of things that Ohio State would like to clean clean up, but at the end of the day, the Buckeyes did what they needed to do to improve to 9-0. Absolutely. You know, it's a Big Ten road game, and uh, in November you can't take those wins for granted, and I think Ohio State didn't. I think they realized a little more than uh, others maybe what you know that this could be a battle. Um, Rutgers, credit to them, I think a really solid team, you know, this has been a team that's been on the rise uh, since Shiano took back over, you know, bowl eligible. We talked about it, you know, last week, just really gaining some momentum and really had a strong defense. And they, the thing that I think they did really well in that game, particularly on the defensive side is playing to their strengths because you talk about had the number two pass defense in the country entering this game. And they really focused on taking the pass away, especially the downfield passing game away from Ohio state this forcing them to run the ball which has been something they've struggled to do at times this year uh now they didn't struggle as much on saturday mainly because dan i don't know if you know this travion henderson he's really good he's, he's really good at football electric 
I've I said, you know, entering the season, I was really high on what he could do. And uh, I think that's borne out. People have seen the explosion. They've seen, I think, improved vision from him. Really, that, that speed of that burst, I think, is maybe his greatest tool, his burst and the, uh, the ability to accelerate away from defenders and just, you know, do what he does, getting to the outside on a lot of plays and wheeling around guys, uh, running around them. Just because, you know, it, it, and again, it's not necessarily, he is very fast, but he not you know he's not so much faster than everybody else it's just he's his acceleration is so much better he can go from zero to 60 really quick so really impressed with his performance and i think they ohio state needed that element to win in the fashion they did in the second half because Rutgers was forcing them to run the ball yeah i think the last two weeks have made it crystal clear how valuable and a healthy travion henderson is to this ohio state offense more than 200 yards from scrimmage and back-to-back games and the run game just looks different when he's out there it's just a there's just the gap between between him and the trip trip train um, Mayan Williams before he got hurt. It, it's significant. Those guys are not bad runners, but Travion is at a different level. His explosiveness is at a different level. Like you said, I think the vision is an area where we've really seen a lot of improvement. I think that was a knock that a lot of people had on Travion last year. And I think some of that had to do with the fact that he was playing more tentatively because he was playing on a broken foot. But I think his vision has been excellent this year. I think he's also improved a lot as a receiver out of the backfield. We saw probably the play of the day against Rutgers was uh, third, third and long. Kyle McCord checks it down to Travion. He turns it into a 65-yard gain. That that was as good a play as we've ever seen from Travion Henderson. And I think he's really improved in that facet of the game as well. And so he's a guy now that is really cementing his place, I think, is one of Ohio State's best and most valuable players. Certainly, Marvin Harrison Jr. is number one on that list. Uh, you know, we, we did our, our Buckeye 20 last week, and I think Travion came in somewhere sixth or seventh. I think if we redid that right now, even a week later, I think Travion would have to be in the top five because I think it's become clear, uh, you know, I think outside of Marvin, he is the biggest game changer for this offense with what he can do out of a backfield. No, and I, I totally agree with you when you talk about uh, him catching the ball out of the backfield. It's something he did more as a freshman. I think the broken foot might have somehow hindered his ability to create those plays out of the backfield at Ohio State. I think focused less in general on using running backs in the passing game. Uh, but he led Ohio State in receiving yards and receptions on Saturday. Obviously, the 65-yarder is what sticks out most in your mind, and that was just a play that, you know, there's no one else on this team that can make that play, uh, that 65-yard catch-and-run you had. You know, maybe some other guys that would pick up a first down, able to dive across the chains there, but to first run by that last defender when there were three trying to hunt him down on that pursuit angle, somehow reverse field along the sideline I still don't know how he did that um, you know that takes special agility special hip flexibility special burst as we've talked about before uh, you know I think that play exemplified a lot of the reasons why Travion is so important to this team uh, now I, I don't want to 
I don't want to shift too much credit away from some improvements that I think were made in the run blocking department, though, on Saturday as well. Uh, we were talking to you know our film guru here at 11 Warriors, Kyle Jones, and he mentioned that he felt it was the best game the guards have played this year. And Donovan Jackson, you know, starting to really look like the guy that we all expected him to be coming into this year. Um, it's probably too late for him to earn All-American status, but kind of playing more to that caliber uh, as opposed to earlier having some issues as they were still figuring things out up front. And, you know, there were definitely, it wasn't a perfect game running the ball. There were still areas of this game where they weren't getting those consistent chunks, but they were doing enough to give Travion the space to use his explosion to make those nice chunk runs, 10 plus yard runs. And, you know, he ended up with 128 yards and 22 carries. So you, you talk about, you know, running is, running is not just on the running back. And, in terms of the other pieces around the running back, those have gotten better as the season has progressed too for Ohio State. Yeah, I thought it was Donovan Jackson's best game of the season by far. He was someone who really stuck out to me when I rewatched the game on film. Uh, I think the way they were using him as, as a pull blocker was really effective, and I think he made a lot of uh, nice plays in that game. And I think the, the blocking in general, I think, was one of the best games we've seen all year. I think we've seen, and I think that it's, I think it's a, tandem effort there of, of getting Travion back and the blocking improving over the last couple of weeks that we're starting to see that running game get some life. And, and granted, I do think it was aided by the way Rutgers defended Ohio State, because as Ryan Day has mentioned multiple times, Rutgers was playing two safeties deep basically the entire game. And so without having that extra defender to account for in the box, that opened more things up in the run game. But to Ohio State's credit, I think Ohio State was able to take advantage of that. I think it's also true when we when we evaluate how Kyle McCord played in this game, because I think a lot of people will look at his stats and see that he threw for a season low 189 yards and say, well, this was a, a bad game for Kyle. I don't think that's true. And I know you don't think that's true because I, I think a lot of that was dictated by the way that Rutgers was defending Ohio State. They they were they made a concerted effort to take away the deep throws, which meant that Kyle had to be smart. He had to take the checkdowns, and I think he did a good job of reading things correctly. It wasn't a perfect game. He did have one bad interception late in the first half, and we've now seen him throw three interceptions in two games. So that's certainly something that he needs to work on. But I thought. By and large, I thought it was a pretty good game for Kyle McCord, even though the big numbers weren't there. Right. And I don't think it was even just the safety stand. I mean, yes, they were playing way off, you know, way deep as Day described, but the linebackers too were gaining a lot of depth in those in some of those zone schemes, really trying to take away even the intermediate routes from Ohio State. And it's that kind of coverage is what led to McCord's interception. And that was an accurately thrown ball, really, from McCord. He just didn't put enough air under it. He didn't layer it correctly. It, it wasn't a good throw, obviously. Got intercepted. But he, he just... It would have, if you look at the line of the ball on the replay, it probably hits Marvin in the hands or maybe gets broken up by the corner that's there as well. But it was on the line to Marvin. It just needed to be layered better to get over that linebacker who was gaining a lot of depth on the play. I thought, honestly, this was the most accurate one of the most accurate games Kyle has had all year, just generally. I mean, you talk about 20, he was 19 of 26, but there were two drops in there that hit his receivers right in the hands, one to Julian Fleming, one to G. Scott. Uh, and 
really, I mean, the three touchdown passes were fantastic balls. Uh, the one to G hit him right in stride, right in the breadbasket, as you say. The throw to Marv, back shoulder, right where it needed to be just to allow, you know, the best receiver in college football to go make a play on it. And then the, the third touchdown, the, Marv, the second one to Marv was kind of just a nice pitch and catch leading him out outside there. So I, I really thought his accuracy looked pretty solid in this game. Still not CJ level accuracy, you know, but that's the thing with how much I've seen fans on Twitter saying, oh, they need to portal a QB next year. Oh, they need to do this. Oh, Kyle sucks. No, I think there's a lot of Big Ten teams that would be very happy to have Kyle McCord at quarterback right now. And he's not CJ Stroud. He's not Justin Fields. He's not Dwayne Haskins. He's a good player who needs time to develop and who has started to develop over the course of the season. And that's just something that, you know, I I know this is a fan base that can get awful impatient at times. We've talked about that before, Uh, but it was always going to have to be a patient process with McCourt. Now, is that going to be enough to beat Michigan? I don't know. He's going to have to take another step, another big step over the next few weeks to get to where he needs to be to really guide Ohio State to victory in that game when you're going up against J.J. McCarthy, who's a proven asset under center for Michigan. But he has progressed, Dan, even if he had his lowest yardage total of the season in this game. Uh, he, he just, again, he had to take what was there. They weren't letting him throw the ball downfield much, as we've uh, as we've discussed. Andy, I mean, there were, there were a lot of people who complained about C.J. Stroud the last two years. I mean, C.J. Stroud <laughs> just broke the NFL rookie passing record. I mean, C.J. CJ Stroud right now it could very well be on his way to the best rookie season an NFL quarterback has ever had. And so people need to remember that when you're comparing Kyle McCord to C.J. Stroud. That C.J. Stroud's a special talent. And you're not going to be able to get C.J. Stroud every year. You're, you're just not. I mean, he, he is such a special player who, quite frankly, I think was un- underappreciated by the Ohio State fan base while he was here. And I think now that the quarterback play is not quite at that same level and they're seeing what C.J. is doing in the NFL, now I think there's more of a realization of, oh, yeah, that C.J. guy was really freaking good. I wish we still had that guy. Uh, but you don't. You have to move forward. and. And to your other point, Ohio State is not going to bring in a starting quarterback from the transfer portal next year. Ohio State may have a four-way quarterback competition between Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, Lincoln Keenholz, and Aaron Nolan. That, that's going to depend on how well Kyle McCord finishes the rest of the season. I don't discount that, but uh, Ohio State's not going to be going portal hunting for a starter next year. They, they're they're going to have uh, plenty of quarterback talent on their roster next year, assuming everybody sticks around. but. Yeah, to to your larger point, I mean, I, I think, you know, again, we, we've said it all year long. I mean, I, Kyle McCord is not playing great, but I think he's playing good. I, I think I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think, you know, he he's giving them a chance to win every game. Like you said, uh, a lot of it is going to be judged on how well he performs against Michigan. That's just the way it goes at Ohio State, and so we're going to have to see how he performs in that game in three weeks, but. You know, I, I I don't go into that game going, man, Ohio State has no chance because they have Kyle McCord. I think Kyle McCord is going to need more help to win that game than maybe some of the other quarterbacks Ohio State has had in the past. But I, I do think that if, you know, Kyle, if Kyle McCord can make progress over these next few weeks, but I think he's capable of winning that game that is that is going to come down to a lot more than just quarterback play. 
Yeah, uh, and it just that's the buildup, right? That's this time of the season now. These next couple weeks, when you're talking about, you know, we're going to discuss more on Michigan State here in a moment. But uh, it's we've talked about ramps all season, how they ramped up to the Notre Dame game, how they ramped up to the Penn State game, and then Wisconsin felt like a bit of a test on the road. This Rutgers game proved to be a good test. Now you've got a Michigan State team who's, you know, again we're going to talk about it in a minute, but it's just not a not that formidable a foe. And Minnesota, you expect to win at home, certainly. Um, it's all that build toward Michigan. And can Kyle, can the team get where it needs to get uh, in that time? Now, do want to shift some focus over to the defensive side of the football in this game. Uh, definitely some positives, a uh, little, a little bit of uh, concern, maybe mixed in there, but not as much. Just given the body of work that this defense has had over the course of the season, has been fantastic, and you, they still held Rutgers under 17 points in this game. And a big reason for that was red zone defense. Uh, six trips into the red zone, Rutgers came away with three touchdowns, one field goal. Three touchdowns, sorry. Rutgers came away with three field goals, one touchdown uh, in six trips to the red zone there in this game. And uh, really a fantastically efficient day in the first half. They got in goal-to-go situations three times, and that's when Ohio State held them to those three field goals. So, Dan, what impressed you about Ohio State's red zone defense in this game? The numbers that Ohio State allowed one touchdown in, in, in six red zone trips. I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Like they were in the red zone six times, and they Ohio State scored as many touchdowns on those six red zone trips as Rutgers did because Ohio State turned one of those red zone trips into a ninety-three yard pick six, and so. That's what impressed me is the results. I, I think that was the story of this game. I think it, w- without that red zone defense, maybe Ohio State doesn't win this game because uh, you know you, you know if a Rutgers scores on scores touchdowns on a couple more of those, it's it's a whole different ball game. And so I, I think you know the story of his defense. I think not just in this game but all year has been when when this defense's back is against the wall, it consistently delivers. We're not always talking about red zone. We could be talking about you know the last the last series against Notre Dame, where they they JT Tuomolau makes a couple of big plays and gets Ohio State off the field and gives them a chance for a game winning drive. We could talk about you know fourth quarter against Penn State when Ohio State forces back to back turnovers on downs to preserve uh, a a lead in a tight game. I, I think you know we've just seen it time and time again from this defense that when Ohio State needs its defense to make plays, it does. Now. You know, as Ryan Day said after the game, Ohio State has to be careful about not putting its defense into bad situations because I think you especially look at the first half of this game. I think Ohio State did that on on back to back series. It gave Rutgers the ball back on Ohio State side of a field because one was the uh, erroneous fake punt by Jesse Murko, which was not supposed to be a fake punt, but Jesse Murko ran the ball, gets stopped for a turnover on downs. Rutgers gets the ball back around the 30 yard line. And then the next, the next drive, Kyle McCord throws that interception we talked about before, which gives Rutgers the ball back ahead of midfield. But again, to the defense's credit, they held Rutgers to, to field goals on both of those series. They let Rutgers drive pretty close to the goal line, but they held Rutgers out of the end zone, giving up only one touchdown in this game. And so I I think it was another, in in that respect, it was another 
a laudatory performance for the Ohio State defense in Piscataway. Yeah, it's been situational excellence this year. I think that's the main thing that's impressed me about uh, this defense is that, you know, you've, you've taken a defense that cost the team against Michigan and Georgia last year with allowing big plays. And now they've shifted it to make big plays, not necessarily always in the sense of, you know, the 93 yard pick six that we saw or the fourth and one stops they had against Notre Dame, but also getting off the field in third down situations and in the red zone in these in some of these games, you know, obviously Penn State, you know, one of that big one of 16 on third down statistic is kind of similar vein to this performance in the red zone by the defense. It, it's just they execute and it's not flashy per se. They execute when they have to, to win games to your point. I have been really impressed too. just uh, how many different sources of production of execution it's come from. We've seen guys all over this defense make those kinds of plays, you know, that uh, the pick six in this game was set up by Josh Proctor, who's been all over the field this season. But, you know, everyone in the secondary who's played meaningful snaps has had their star turn. Even, you know, Jermaine Matthews filling in for Denzel Burke in this game had a big tackle. You know, Bill Bill Landis pointed out in, in a press conference with Ryan Day today that, you know, there was a tackle Jermaine made or at least slowed a guy up where he was pretty much one on one in the back would have had a ton of open space space afterward guys all over the field are making plays when it's needed for this defense and it's their whole mentality they've said it multiple times now give us an inch we'll defend it that's their whole mantra this year and they've backed it up with their play so i i have no real questions as to whether this defense will continue to put ohio state in a position where it can go win these games and that's a concern that i think should relieve buckeye fans a lot given how some of the previous years have gone where you know the script was kind of flipped on that we've talked about this being a defensive driven team uh in the past it was the defense that you kind of said oh the offense is going to score a lot of points but the defense might give up just as many well now it's the defense is going to keep you in these games just got to do enough on the offensive side to go out and win the day now the one negative i think you can take away on the defense in this game would be the amount of rushing yards allowed Rutgers ran for 232 yards on 5.4 yards per carry both of which were uh season highs allowed by the ohio state defense now granted if you take out the 45-yard trick play run, which you got to give Rutgers props. I mean, that was a, a really uh, cool play that they drew up there with kind of the fake fumble ruski going into a direct snap to the running back. And to me, I, I don't count that one against the defense. Like, great play call. It wasn't jumping Rutgers had shown on film. You got God on that one. You, 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 again, as we talked about before, you, you did what you needed to do after that to prevent Rutgers from scoring a touchdown. And so I don't really view that one as a strike against the defense. It was the longest play the defense has allowed all year long, but I, I just give Rutgers props on that one. If you take that out, the, Ruck, the average drops to 4.45. So you take that one play out, it, it, it doesn't look as bad, but, you know, it did feel like. Uh, Ohio State was a little bit more, you know, vulnerable against the run in this game than maybe it had been in past weeks. Did you see anything, Andy, that really concerned you in that regard? The same thing I've been saying all year about the one tech position on this team. 
I do think it's gotten better when you talk about Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton playing that spot, that nose guard spot, not necessarily being true, big, block-eating one-techs like we've seen in the past with maybe Tommy Togiai, with Devon Hamilton, maybe even Robert Landers, guys like that. But I do think they've gotten better over the course of this year at eating blocks, staying strong at the point of attack, because really your job there is to create a pile. Rutgers, I thought, schematically did fantastic with their running style in this game. Most of their successful runs, you know, rewatching this game and even seeing it live, came on just quick hitters up the middle that really directly challenged the center of the defense uh, and really fast. And they have a small running back with a lot of power, low center of gravity. And Kyle Monongai, really impressed with how he played in this game, was able to keep the legs churning and really push those piles forward, pick up chunks where I think other running backs might not have. And, you know, they talk about, you know, it's the old Barry Sanders thing. Short running backs are at an advantage sometimes because they're much harder for linebackers to see. And I think that's especially true when you have linebackers like Ohio State who are coached in this Jim Knowles system to, quote, see the forest through the trees, right? They're expected to make those reads to find the ball carriers to get downhill to attack the middle. And, you know, that was a, something that Rutgers was able to negate a little bit by having such quick hitting runs where they could push the middle like that. Now, it's something you worry about against Michigan, maybe. But I think that overall, this defense has a proven track record overall defending the run this year. Uh, They have been strong in that area. And these kinds of quick hitting runs straight up the middle power runs are the one thing that I've always had a concern with. But they've made enough stops in this game when they needed to. And I also think this defense has shown an ability to adjust throughout the year and address its weaknesses in game, out of game. So I think it was good to have a game like this on film for them because it allows them to go back and maybe address those concerns before they play another strong power running team. You mentioned Ty Hamilton. I do want to give him some credit. He had a career-high six tackles in this game, including one of the biggest tackles of the game, one of those aforementioned red zone stops. He made a big uh, fourth-and-one sack. So I thought uh, this was certainly one of the best games we've seen Ty Hamilton play as a Buckeye. Uh, You mentioned Jermaine Matthews before. I think he's certainly another guy who deserves credit. We've seen him now twice have to play a really big role there outside cornerback, and and he's just held his own in there. And so I think they've really found a a young gem there in Jermaine Matthews Jr. And you got to give credit to the whole secondary in this game because uh, they were down two starters, neither Lathan Ransom nor Denzel Burke played. They were down a third starter. Josh Proctor took a shot to the head on the same play that he forced the interception that Jordan Hancock brought back for a 93-yard pick six. And even without those three guys, uh, Ohio State secondary you know, held up pretty well in the back end. I thought Sonny Styles had a good game in, in his first game uh, playing that he, he actually he started out playing strong safety and then when Proctor left the game he moved to free safety and so he was actually playing both of those deep safety spots and I thought he held his own well at both spots and then Malik Hartford as well he was a little little bit of sloppiness as a tackler from Hartford playing you know his first real extended action as a true freshman but there was one sequence uh, there late in the game where he made pass breakups on back-to-back plays uh, in in the end zone. And I thought that was really uh, promising to see uh, him hold up that well in coverage in a pressure situation. And so uh, Malik's a guy that we had heard a lot about going into the season that they uh, felt really good about. 
He, he struggled when he got in there at the start of a Youngstown State game. Didn't look like he really knew where he was supposed to be lining up. And that kind of had impacted his chances to get back in, in the lineup for a while. But when he was called upon at, at Rutgers, I, I think he did a better job. And so uh, just that secondary depth as a whole, you, you don't like the fact right now that you've got, you know, I, I think Josh Proctor's fine. He'll be back this week. Not sure about Denzel Burke and Leif and Ransom. You don't like the fact that, you know, two of your rock solid guys in Burke and Ransom are dealing with injuries right now. But you do like the fact that when guys have gone down, the depth has risen to the occasion in a way that I don't think we saw when Ohio State dealt with injuries in the secondary last year. Absolutely. And I think if there was a time for injuries to happen, not that you ever want injuries to happen, it might have been now, given that these are freshmen that kind of needed some time to cook just to adjust to collegiate life, their freshman years, get on campus, learn practice habits, etc. Um, but you, you, they've seen it from Jermaine, especially since the spring and Malik, you know, talk about two guys that lost their black or yeah, Malik Law is the first person to lo- lose the black stripe among the freshmen, I believe, right? No, um, Carnell Tate. Carnell Tate, but he lost it in the spring, too. Um, you talk about two guys that have shown it early for this staff, and they have taken big steps over the course of the season because they've gotten some chances in big moments. I mean, Malik Hartford started a game earlier in this season when Josh Proctor was out and was benched after the first series. I think it's a great sign of progress that he was able to sustain a pretty good performance over the course of this game after Josh Proctor left um, or over the course of the second half because he was injured in the second half. But the uh, real quick, too, I, I did want to touch on this in the run game just because I forgot. I, I think one other important thing to point out is that Rutgers had a, a really strong running quarterback in this game uh, and maybe the best running quarterback threat that they that Ohio State has seen this year. And Gavin Wimsat uh, was really impressed with his athleticism. And that is also something that freezes the second level of the defense and can create some indecision, maybe make it a little tougher to dedicate yourself to the true inside run game. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, J.J. McCarthy can run the ball too, but I'm not sure quite at that caliber, uh, certainly. Uh, Back to the secondary, though. uh, It's the time of year you want to be seeing depth develop because of how worn down guys can get in the stretch run. And knowing you have those pieces available behind the key guys is going to be so important, especially as, you know, I'm... We were pretty sure they're going to get Josh Proctor back this week. Even the fact that we got to interview him after the Rutgers game was a good sign. Uh, Denzel, if he's not back this week, I think the fact that he's back practicing, as Day said, probably an indication they're going to get him back before the end of the year. So as you get these guys back now, you have more options behind them that you know, hey, we can count on this guy, right? That's that's the big thing for Ohio State as it enters the most important stretch of football that we'll play this season. We've talked about the offense. We've talked about the defense. we got to also talk about the special teams because uh, the aforementioned uh, play with Jesse Murko uh, was not the first special teams miscue that we've seen from Ohio State this season and of course some notable ones uh last season as well in in the Michigan and Georgia games and it, it certainly feels like the heat is turning up now on, on Parker Fleming. Uh Ryan Day was asked directly about Parker Fleming on Tuesday and you know really why that he gave him a raise and extension in the offseason and uh Ryan Day came to Parker Fleming's defense. He said I think 
Parker's a great teacher and a great coach and said that uh, he's not looking at making any uh, changes to the coaching staff right now. But he also said that he said it after the game Saturday and he said it again Tuesday that the communication between the coaches and players on special teams needs to be better. And Ryan Day uh, said, you know, ultimately I'm the head coach, so it falls back on me. But it falls on Parker, too, because Parker uh, he's a full-time special teams coach. A lot of college football teams don't have a full-time special teams coordinator. Ohio State does. And so uh, when you have that, you you would expect that you know the, these kind of mistakes aren't going to happen as frequently as they have for Ohio State. And, and I do think that puts Parker Fleming on the hot seat to where the special teams play has to improve down the stretch this season or... Ryan Day is going to have to seriously consider making a change after this season. Right. You know, you're talking about a coaching spot that could be used to, for instance, make James Laurinaitis full time, right? This is, these spots are not uh, easy to come by, not to just be given out. Maybe the NCAA sometime down the line will, ex- will increase or fully eliminate the limit on assistant coaches. We'll see. But for now, you only have 10 spots. You've got to make sure they all count. And to have a full-time special teams guy, your special teams need to be disciplined, need to be elite. And this is far from the first special team snafu we've seen this season and previous seasons from this team under the guidance of Parker Fleming as the special teams coordinator, you know, and I, I'm not going to sit here and ever call for a guy to be fired really. Um, but they definitely need to be looking into what they need to be evaluating what the direction is, what the future is of the special teams, uh, this off season. I think for now, Ryan probably made the right call by kind of defending his guy because it's too late at this point in the process to make a change that big. You got to stick with your guns. You got to stick with what you have. You got to run with it. They said today that he likes Parker's teaching ability, still likes his coaching ability, how he handles things. And also said that maybe there's more, responsibility on the staff as a whole to improve special teams which if everyone has a hand in the jar then you know what what is i guess parker's real full responsibility you know that that's a question that also pops into your mind but regardless um I think it is going to be a collective effort and something that Day is going to have to divert some attention to really solidifying and ensuring that these really just mental errors stop happening. You know, these are big, easily avoidable mistakes that, you you know, getting the wrong calls, having a guy not look for the ball and it hits his foot, as we saw earlier in this season with Lorenzo Styles. It's things like that happen against Michigan, happen in a Big Ten championship game, happen in the playoffs, can swing the entire game when you're against a matchup opponent. Exactly. And and that that's the thing is it's not if we're just talking about a guy getting beat or a guy, you know, not executing a block writer or fumbling or something like that, those things aren't necessarily going to fall back on the coaching. I think the reason you look at the coaching is because when you look at a lot of these things that have happened on special teams, a lot of them have been unforced errors. They haven't been things where the other team made a great play that you just didn't, you weren't able to stop. A lot of it has been them shooting themselves in the foot. And I think that, you know, it's on the players too, but it does go back to the coaching of, why do, do these things continue to happen? 
and and what does Ohio State need to do to prevent them from happening? And that needs to be the focus right now. Like let's be clear, like we don't want to go too far down the track of what they're going to do after this season because Ohio State is nine and zero. They are in the hunt for trying to win a national championship this year. So right now, the focus needs to be on how do you fix these things right now with the guys we have in place? Because like you said, it's too late to make a change. This is not. This is a different situation than USC firing Alex Grinch when it's lost free games and it's completely out of contention for anything and it's inevitable that a change has to be made no this is this is a team that's trying to win a national championship and so you're not going to make a change right now you don't even need to make any decisions about anything beyond this season right now but what you do need to do is make sure those mistakes don't happen against michigan in a college football playoff game because that's when it becomes a big deal it's not you know i mean I mean, that mistake could have really hurt Ohio State against Rutgers. It was a big reason why Rutgers had a lead at halftime against Ohio State. But ultimately, it was something Ohio State overcame. Not that big a deal. If it happens in a really close game, it could potentially swing the game to the other team. And so that's why it's something that has to be a priority for Ohio State right now. Right, you know, and I think in closing on this Rutgers game in general, you know, it's uh, my buddies and I have a saying sometimes, you know, it's a, a gambling thing, all that and still covered, right? You know, Ohio State was an 18 and a half point favorite. They won this game by 19. A lot of things to clean up, a lot of mistakes in this game and a lot of things that I'm sure fans are going to be angry about. But uh, at the end of the day, this was you got to nine and zero. Big Ten road win against a legit opponent, and you're still in that title hunt. You're still, you know, all roads lead to Ann Arbor, really. That's the game that matters most easily left on Ohio State's state schedule. It has been for some time, and everything is building up to that contest. Now, Shifting gears here, not going to spend a whole lot of time previewing Ohio State's next opponent because on paper should be Ohio State's easiest game since some of those cupcakes back in September. Buckeyes are favored by 31 and a half points this Saturday against Michigan State. Dan, I guess, where do or don't you see a challenge from this Spartans team as they come to Columbus? Yeah, I mean, on on paper, it, it's hard to really look at anything about this Michigan State team and, and think that this game should be a real challenge for Ohio State. I think that's especially true when you look at Michigan State's offense compared to how good Ohio State's defense has been. Michigan State's offense has been so bad that the Spartans are averaging fewer points per game than Iowa. And, you know, Iowa's, Iowa's offense has been the punchline of a sport for multiple years. And so... Uh, I, I think, you know, defensively, I think the goal in this game is a shutout. I, we, we've heard the defense talk about wanting to get a shutout this year. I think if you're going to do it, this is probably the game to do it. So I think that should really be the goal for the defense in this game is, is to is to try to shut them out. Won't necessarily happen, but I think that should that should be the goal because Michigan State's offense is the worst that Ohio State has played all season. Spartans are slightly better on defense, and obviously Ohio State's offense has still yet to really put together a a four quarter complete game. And so I think Michigan state's defense is a little bit more capable of competing with Ohio state, but realistically, this is the kind of game you'd like to see Ohio state go out there, get a fast start out of gate and just dominate from start to finish. It's a home night game. Uh, It should be, you know, outside of a Penn State game, one of the best environments in the shoe all year long, Buckeyes are going to be playing in, in those gray uniforms. And so this is a kind of game, you know, I, I think the, 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 the big thing for Ohio State right now is not 
doing what we're doing and just looking past this game and already focusing on Michigan because it's hard not to do that at this point. But, you know, you really want to see from Ohio State is just go out there and, and, and play a complete game because I, I think that, you know, on paper, Ohio State is better than Michigan State in every phase of a game. This is a Michigan State team that's obviously both on and off the field has had a lot of, of turmoil this year. And so I think for Ohio State, you know, you really you, know, you, you want to see uh, the, the passing game get more explosive. You want to see the, the rushing offense continue to build on momentum it's had the last couple of weeks. And, and you want to see the defense continue to dominate. And you certainly don't want to see any costly mistakes on special teams. <laughs> right. You know, it's not a game that you worry about a team looking past in terms of they could lose this because I really do think with, you know, the off- aforementioned offensive struggles and the off the field issues that you alluded to, Mel Tucker being fired in season for sexual harassment allegations. There, this isn't a team that I feel like Ohio State really could lose to by looking past them. But you, they need to continue taking those steps, progressing, improving those areas you just mentioned for their potential to be reached this season right and that's ryan day says it it's the old coaching cliche you know it's about us um in terms of ohio state you have to look internally and continue to build and improve and make that momentum as you know you're, you're competing for a national title you have to use every week as a stepping stone to get to that goal do think that uh for me i i expect a little more from ohio state's offense in this game yes michigan has it Michigan. Michigan State has a decent defense in this game, but not the kind that I think Ohio State certainly saw against Rutgers or Penn State, uh, some of the elite defenses they've played this year. For me, this feels like a boiling point game where they should be able to go out and show their most complete offensive performance we've seen since like Western Kentucky and put up a good number of points in this game more than I think maybe certain people are expecting just based off how the last few weeks have gone. Uh, and that, and that'll be helped too. If their defense is forcing a lot of three and outs and giving the offense more bites at the apple, so to speak, the, they might be doing it without some guys. We talked about, you know, those injured players, but again, because of the nature of where Michigan state is at right now, you don't want to rush anyone back. You want to keep, if Tommy Eichenberg isn't 100%, if Denzel Burke isn't 100%, Lathan Ransom certainly, uh, you want to keep those guys out. You want to keep them healthy. You want to rest them for this stretch run. You'd like to see them play against Minnesota maybe because you want to have a game to sort of get them back into gear, get them back in the swing of things before that Michigan contest. But this week, certainly no need to play anyone that isn't fully ready to go and just 100% healthy because this is a game you should win handily even with some of those pieces absent. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think, you know, if there's, if there's anybody who uh, you don't feel like it's smart to play them this week, you you don't play them, you know? So I think, you know, we will probably see Josh Proctor back. I think we'll probably see Cade Stover back. You know, I think Devin Brown will be, he was available last week, but I think it's more likely Hill actually play in this game uh with you know the kind of game that it could be you know i think you know you know Leif and ransom i'd be very surprised if he plays based on the fact that he hasn't yet returned to practice denzel burke tommy eichenberg you know they seem like they could both potentially be in that boat of where they could play but maybe you know if if, if they're not quite 100 percent, 
maybe Ohio State plays it safe with those guys, uh, you know, and, you know, lets guys like Cody Simon, Jermaine Matthews uh, get more reps in their spot. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Honestly, not the most important thing, but honestly, one of the things I'm, I'm intrigued to see in this game is, will we finally see Tristan Gebbia or Lincoln Keenholz get a snap at quarterback? Because you have to think if that's going to happen, it's probably now or never in, in terms of this game. And like I said, you know, Den- Devin Brown uh, is expected to be, you know, healthy for this week. And so they could want to get him some more reps as well. I do feel like if this game becomes the kind of game we think it is, I feel like Ryan Day would probably have incentive to want to get Jebby out there, even if it's only for a series, because you know, he basically came in and played this selfless role to be a third string quarterback for Ohio State this year with no expectations of, of really playing a significant role this year. And that's a hard thing to find in, in the transfer portal era. And so I would think Ryan Day, if possible, whether, you know, this week or next week, I think this week's probably more likely, would probably want to try to reward Tristan and get him out there even if it's only for a series, just so that, you know, he can say he played in an Ohio State game in his one year on the team. Obviously, Lincoln Keenholz has a lot of years ahead of him, so maybe not that same sense of urgency with him, although I'm sure, you know, if, if you could get him in there uh, for a series as well, just, just so that he has that game experience going into next year, you'd love to do that. And I think, you know, that's true for a lot of young guys, where I think you, know, you look at this week and next week, if those games go according to plan, there's a lot of guys on this team where realistically, you know, those are probably their last two opportunities to get a chance to to play any kind of meaningful snaps this year. And for some guys, you know, this week might really be that that one only opportunity. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the coaching staff does want to reward Jebby, but also, you know, he was pretty close to playing here recently in, in a very meaningful spot when you talk about Kyle McCord getting hurt, you know, a couple of weeks ago at Wisconsin and Devin Brown already being out in that game. Came very close to entering, you know, was warming up on the sidelines, ready to go in almost. So he, there has been a situation before, I, I think, most Buckeye fans are familiar with where a third string quarterback turned out to be pretty important to the team. You don't plan to have that scenario this year happen, especially now that Devin is back. But uh, the, it, it's something that's still not off the table. And uh, Jebbia has years of experience as a starter. Um, you'd like to break him back into the flow of things, even if it's just for a series in case that emergency situation happens. And also, again, like you said, you want to reward a guy. And while you'd like to see Lincoln, you know, maybe get some time for his future development, it's not a big, um, I don't think there's a big urgency there, especially because, you know, there's there's a good possibility he's not the starter next year anyway. He'd have to win a competition, you'd think, um, against Kyle McCord or Devin Brown or both. So, Really curious to see if they can get Jebby into this game because I think at that point you'd have to have a blowout where Devin's played a few series already and then you can get one of those guys in. Um, in that vein, uh, my score prediction for this game is 49-3. I mentioned that I think Ohio State's offense kind of serves as a boiling point for Michigan State's defense this year. I think the improvements they've made the last few weeks in the running game, the court showing some more accuracy, maybe cuts it a little loose more in this game if Michigan State's not playing a similar scheme to Rutgers, but also Michigan State 
doesn't have a secondary that's as good as Rutgers. Michigan or Rutgers has one of the better secondaries in the country this year, borne out by their passing defense statistics. Uh, I think that even if Michigan State does lean a little more into the pass like Rutgers did, Ohio State might be able to take advantage with its talent advantage anyway, uh, going to Marvin Harrison. Emeka Ibuka has been back another week now. Uh, I think it was good to get him settled in last week, and now maybe he can start producing the numbers we're accustomed to seeing from him this week. So I have 49-3. I think just because you know this defense wants a shutout so bad is capable of a shutout in this game, but it just seems like maybe it's not in the cards for him. Michigan State squeaks out a field goal somewhere. Dan, I know you said you're looking for a shout out from the defense what is your score prediction for this game i'm gonna say 42 to nothing um i mean you know and obviously you know shout out is a t- tricky thing to predict because you know if if the, if it's that kind of game they're probably gonna have def- backups out there on the defense in the fourth quarter so those guys may be more likely to give up a score than the starters will but i i know the defense i know that's one of their goals this year is to get the shutout and i think this is their best opportunity to do it so I'm gonna I'm gonna say they do it. I'm gonna say 42 to nothing. I mean, I was almost inclined to go as high as you on Ohio State score and go 49, but for the most part this year, Ohio State has scored fewer points than I've expected going into a game. And so I'm gonna say 42. That would be a you know step up the ladder from what we've seen the last few weeks. It would be Ohio State's second highest scoring game of the season behind only the Western Kentucky game. So I think, you know, if Ohio State gets over 40 in this game. Uh, offensively, I think you feel pretty good about that being a step in the right direction. And, and certainly, you'd love to see another dominant defensive performance. So I'm going to go 42 nothing. I think those are both scores that are apt to happen, and I think scores Ohio State fans could be happy with. Uh, this was a larger week, though, around college football that had a lot of interesting results in it. And going into this week, there's going to be some other big games coming up. You know, uh, first off in the Big Ten, I think it's the biggest showdown left on the schedule for the conference outside of Michigan, Ohio State. Uh, It's Michigan Penn State, you know, and this is a Penn State team that's going to be looking to get back in the Big Ten East race and maybe, you know, get some revenge for the narratives, the sign stealing narratives that have been out there about Michigan. Michigan, on the other hand, trying to focus internally, that entire program seems to be standing behind Jim Harbaugh and his team right now. Uh, the university really top to bottom with you know some of the reports that come out, have come out about Santa Ono asking uh, Tony Petiti to respect due process, all of those things. There's a lot of storylines building around this Michigan team and storylines that are going to bleed through into this Michigan-Penn State game, which is a pivotal game to determine who's going to play for the conference title, um, whether it's just going to be a matter of who wins that Michigan-Ohio State game or if tiebreakers are going to get imbo- involved here if Penn State beats Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, I, I've believed going back to the start of a year, but I think uh, I, I think Michigan might be the best team in college football. I, I think, you know, if, if we're talking eye test, you know, even though Ohio State might have the best resume at this point, to me, I think it's between Georgia and Michigan for who I think is actually the best team in college football right now. And so, uh, you know, Michigan is, is a really tough team to beat. And obviously, Penn State didn't have a great day at Ohio State, but I still think Penn State's a really good team. And I think playing this game in Happy Valley, one of the toughest places to play in college football, makes a big difference. So I won't be surprised if Penn State comes out of this game on on Saturday if a win. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's a game that can go either way. And I, and I say that not even really putting a whole lot into, well, they don't have Connor Stallions anymore. I, I put that more into 
I think Penn State still has a really good team. I think they have a really good defense. And I think Happy Valley is a tough place to play. And so I think this is going to be a great game on Saturday. And I'm, and I'm glad it's at noon so that we can watch that game before we head over to Ohio Stadium to cover Ohio State, Michigan State. Yes, my keister will be firmly planted on my couch before I leave for that game. And probably once the uh, final whistle blows, I'll be heading over to Ohio Stadium to get the coverage out to the people of uh, the Ohio State, Michigan State tilt. But that's not the only uh, big game on the 11 Dubgate, too. We'll we'll Uh, be out there. We'll be out there for a bit, too. So I certainly want to encourage everyone to uh, come out to the 11 Dubgate on Saturday. That starts at uh, 3 p.m. behind the Varsity Club. Uh, Proceeds going to Special Olympics. So good good event to support a good cause. Uh, Hope you hope to see you guys out there. Uh, We'll be out there for a little bit, probably, you know, 330, 430 range before we head over to Ohio Stadium to uh, do our jobs. And so uh, (laughs) if you're out there early and you see us, uh, come say, hey, we'd love to meet you. Yes, indeed. You know, always love to meet uh, some of our readers, you know, and this is uh, it'll be a good hopefully a good Saturday weather wise to uh, get some tailgating done. Haven't gotten to do any tailgating this year, you know, working around the game. So I'll be uh, very much looking forward to that part of it as well and supporting a great cause there. But around the country, you know, other big games for some top college football playoff contenders. You've got Georgia versus Ole Miss, Washington versus Utah, Florida State versus Miami, Oregon, USC. Who do you have on the biggest upset watch this week dan yeah it's it's a really good question i mean i think those are all games that are are very interesting i mean i'm i'm inclined to believe that georgia will be ole miss although ole miss is a very good team and so uh that's a game that certainly could be competitive you know i I, i've been a big believer in washington all year and i remain that and so i'm gonna say that i think washington will be Utah. I mean, Utah has a good defense, but they don't have a great offense. So I think it's going to be really hard for them to keep pace with uh, how explosive Michael Penix and that Washington offense is. I I feel like, you know, Florida State Miami is kind of one of those sneaky games where you don't look at it and say, uh, you know, that's a game that necessarily uh, stands out as much as some of the others. But it's 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 one of those games where if it ends up being really close and Miami even pushes for an upset, it it wouldn't stun me. And then, you know, Oregon versus USC, it's hard to envision that USC defense being able to stop Oregon's offense. Oregon's offense has been the best in the country. USC's defense has been one of the worst in the country. Although it would be funny if after finally firing Alex Grinch, if USC's defense suddenly finds new life and is able to slow down Oregon, but even with some improvement on the defensive side of a ball, I don't think that's going to be enough for the Trojans. <laughs> Immediate addition by subtraction. <laughs> nah, not what I expect in that game. I think it, it takes time to adjust to a new defensive coordinator. Um, and they're still going to be running Grinch's scheme with all likelihood. You know, you can't change an entire scheme in a week. So if, you know, it was an inherent scheme issue and not just a coach play calling issue, then it's certainly going to prevail through the rest of the season for USC. I, I do think that Utah-Washington game is a scary one for Washington. I think Utah is a team that's always capable of upsets uh, when you just look at the history of that program under Kyle Whittingham. Uh, well coached, always have good defenses. They're going to hang tough in a lot of these games, although, of course, Oregon boat raced them earlier in the year. But this is a team that, you know, is always hungry on, on upset alert when they're, they've already been eliminated from these contention like they have been this year in terms of the college football playoff. Uh, I think that also, you know, I, I like you said, I wouldn't sleep on that Florida State-Miami game. I know Miami's been the butt of many 
jokes after blowing a what should have been an easy win against Georgia Tech earlier in this game. You're, you know, literally just take a knee, right? That that whole thing. But this is it's a rivalry game and a big rivalry game with a lot of history, a lot of intensity usually behind it. And rivalry games can get funky sometimes. Um, so I think those are probably my two biggest upset watch games for this week. Lots of talk about football as we're in the midst of November, but that also means that basketball season has arrived and basketball season began for both Ohio State teams on Monday. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how many times this year that the Ohio State men's basketball team is going to have a better record than the Ohio State women's basketball team. But that is the case uh, coming out of both teams season openers, although not necessarily the most impressive win for the men as uh, Ohio State's men did beat Oakland 79 to 73, but trailed for a lot of that game. 30 of the first 31 minutes. Uh, they they really never quite pulled away uh, uh, from Oakland. Oakland hung around, and you got to give Oakland credit. Uh, they're a really good three point shooting team. They were uh, making big shots to stay in that game, and they just wouldn't go away. But uh, certainly not the kind of game that is going to make people who are doubters of Chris Holtman and the Buckeyes change their opinions. Also not necessarily a game that I think people should read a ton into. I mean, if you just look at the first night of college basketball around the country, I mean, you had Michigan State lose to James Madison in its season opener. On the women's side, you had number one LSU lose to Colorado in its season opener. So, uh, you know, weird things can happen, especially at the beginning of the season in in college basketball. And so I don't think uh, anyone should panic necessarily because Ohio State didn't win impressively over Oakland, but certainly I think you come out of that first game with plenty for the Buckeyes to work on. Yeah, college basketball is an inherently wonky and unpredictable sport, and the the first week is, it's never more so the case, other than maybe March Madness. Uh, when you, when you talk about that, you know, I I think there are takeaways to have from this game from the Ohio State perspective, but as far as looking long term, what this team can be, what this team is, what this team can or can't accomplish very little to learn, right? I think big picture stuff is it's very hard to know what the true identity and ability of this team is from this game. Also, Oakland was playing a very unique zone defense in this game. When you talk about denying penetration in the way they did in the usual gaps that you can find in a zone like Oakland was running the way they were running it, it changed the picture that I'm sure a lot of guys were unused to seeing. You know, Chris Holtman talked after the game about how really the only guy that could get down the seams of the zone consistently for Ohio State in this game was Roddy Gale, uh, who had a big night, had a personal 9-0 run that really, you know, talked about Ohio State trailing 30 of those first 31 minutes. The reason it led the rest of the game mainly was because of a 9-0 run that Roddy Gale went on by himself to take Ohio State from down multiple scores to up multiple scores. Much contesting and battling from there in the game, but it really swung things uh, in Ohio State's favor. And, and he was one of a couple standouts that Ohio State had in this game. I think Zed Key is a guy that uh, his weight loss might be a bigger deal than I gave credence to earlier in this year. He looked better in the post to me in this game, and that's not something I expected to say coming out of it, but he just looked so much more athletic. He had uh, two giant dunks 
in this game. One he followed by his signature raised roof celebration, and the other some finger guns toward the bench. Really, I think on one of them, of them he did both. He first raised the roof, <laughs> first and then raised the roof, then did the finger guns. Yes, yeah, you got you got to get you got to get both in sometimes. You got to mix it in. But he he had uh, both those came on really good post spin moves where he was able to just kind of wheel around a defender quickly and just open himself up free to slam at home and I think in the past a bigger Zed key is probably going to have to settle for a contested hook shot in that situation in some some more of those shots that are less certain uh, he talked about how the, he felt the wind more through his ears when I asked him directly about those plays afterward uh, very funny to hear Zed talk about it but I he also looked a little bit better and helped defense which is something I expected with the weight loss I honestly I thought he played better than Felix Akpara in this game who had some struggles especially coming out the second half he had already and there were a lot of fouls called in this game there were more fouls than minutes played which is rare but Felix comes out of the first half he had a pretty dumb foul down the stretch of the first half uh, to get his second and then he gets his third right at the very beginning of the second half and that was following up a pretty careless turnover inbounding the ball under his own basket completely or under Oakland's basket completely under uncontested you know just after Oakland has scored trying to give it to Bruce Thornton and uh, turns the ball over in that situation so you know some some sophomore lumps early in this season from Felix I don't expect that from him long term but Zed Key really impressed me in this game I think probably exceeding my expectations more so than any other player I think another guy who impressed me was Scotty Middleton in his first game as a Buckeye. 13 points, 8 rebounds, and 28 minutes off the bench. I I think it's going to be interesting to see how these lineups develop over the course of a year. Because you mentioned, you know, Felix Akpara starting over Zed Key. Now, Evan Mahaffey got the start over Scotty Middleton. But then if you look at the minutes, Scotty Middleton ended up playing twice as many minutes as as Evan Mahaffey. And so can Scotty Middleton become a guy who really becomes a core player of this team? I think he can. And I think Monday night's game against Oakland was certainly a good first Im- impression of him. Uh, you know, I think Jamison Battle had a solid debut, you know, came in nine points, seven rebounds. Certainly, you'd like to see a little more from the other two transfers, though. Dale Bonner and Evan Mahaffey combining for zero points. They didn't do a whole lot in the exhibition either. And and the reality is Chris Holtman has not had a great track record with transfers. And so I, I, I'm higher on this transfer group than a lot of the previous transfer groups they've had. I, I think all three of them can be. Uh, productive players for this team, but I, I also think you know you 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 look at just game one again. It's just it's just one game, but you know those those guys may have some work to do in order to really assimilate themselves and become impact players for this team. Right, I, and I, especially for me, Dale Bonner, because Evan was brought in to me as more of a defensively sound three in the lineups that he'll play, not a guy that they're going to look to on the offensive end as much. Dale, it wasn't just, you know, he didn't score any points. Passing wasn't that great. He had he had some nice feeds. He had an alley-oop uh, that got thrown down in this game, but there were just overall kind of running things from the point as, you know, kind of that second fiddle to Bruce Thornton. That's going to be a, his role in a lot of situations that he's going to be the second ball handler for Ohio State when Thornton's not in the lineup. 
is didn't really impress me a whole lot in that area. Um, going back to Scotty though, his hustle and just kids a gamer to me. Um, that was what impressed me most about this uh, performance from him to open his career. Had a lot of uh, some inconsistencies in there. He's clearly not a finished product yet. Going to have to develop over the course of the year. But he was. I mean, he had a really nice putback in this game that I think stood out to me. He was able to crash the glass and get some second chance points. And those are the little things that when you talk about a freshman trying to make an impact earlier that you can do. And he was. It's again. It's just he was seemed to be everywhere when he was on the floor in a way. He was kind of he had that hustle a little more than I think some of his teammates did. Going back to Bruce for a minute, uh, this wasn't his strongest night and he's a guy who's again probably the most important player, the best player for this Ohio State team this year. Uh, only shot 3 of 11, did shoot 8 of 8 from the line to end up with 17 points but Guys are going to have an off night, and on an off night, Bruce hit the biggest shot of this game, I thought. Uh, Ohio State was up 67-60 down the stretch of this game, and you felt like maybe there was finally some security that they were going to finally get through this unyielding opponent and then Oakland goes on a 7-1 to run to cut the lead to 68-67 and Ohio State comes back the next possession. Bruce misses a shot and it deflects out of bounds. It really felt like this was a point in the game where Oakland could take the momentum, finish off an upset to open the year. Instead, Roddy Gale finds Bruce in the corner open and Bruce knocks down a huge three to make it 71-67 and from there Ohio State goes on to win. I I think he was he hit his biggest shot of the night and that's something that Chris Holtman talked about. He said directly, you know, I don't care if Bruce is 0 for 10, if he gets that 11th look in a key moment, it's a good one. He has to knock it down for this team. That's his role. They're going to look to Bruce in those moments and it's good to see that even on a night where he clearly wasn't playing his best game, he was able to knock down that shot. Also went 8 for 8 at the line, including 4 free throws in the last minute that helped uh, score, secure Ohio State's win. So those are also clutch moments. So while Bruce didn't have his strongest game again, he had the clutch plays that he needed to to make sure Ohio State won the game. Certainly, you talk about not learning a ton from this game about the team as a whole. I think we will learn more on Friday when Ohio State plays Texas A&M at uh, the Schottenstein Center. Andy, what are your expectations for Ohio State going in and playing a ranked opponent for the first time this year? Not sure I expect a win, Dan, to be honest. Uh, this is a team that was always going to take some time to gel, and I think there might be some fans that immediately write them off if they lose this game, which I don't think will be fair if that's the outcome. But hey, that's the world we live in, covering Ohio State. I, I expect to see them improve in some of the areas that hurt them against Oakland. I think perimeter defense might be the most concerning thing for me with this team right now. Oakland had some great looks in this game and shot 40% from the three, and it's really what kept them in it in a lot of ways. Uh, also offensive rebounding, or Ohio State's defensive rebounding, right? Preventing offensive rebounds. Oak, they out-rebounded Oakland overall 42-30, to 30, but Oakland still pulled in 11 offensive boards and scored 13 second-chance points. That was an issue for them in the Dayton exhibition, an issue dating back to last year, and offensive rebounds can just be such back-breaking plays in key moments. When you get a stop defensively in a team that has had defense Defensive issues in the past certainly did last year. You get the stop, and then you know you put it. The opposing team puts it back up 
gets points off of it anyway. And all of a sudden, you just get that little exhale, that little deflation when that happens. So I think those are the two biggest areas for me that I want to see Ohio State take a step forward in playing this Texas A&M team and a team that's going to have more bigs on the floor. They Ohio State had the size advantage against Oakland. You know, Oakland didn't have a, re, a player above 6'9", only had one player above 6'6", in its starting lineup. Uh, when you talk about having a 6'11 guy on the floor and, and Felix Akpara having uh, Zed Key, you know, as an established center, you, you need to see those bigs challenge on the glass more and box out and prevent those offensive rebounds. Um, so those are the two areas of improvement I think you're looking to see most from Ohio State and just overall offensive consistency. There were still some cold stretches in this game where they really couldn't get the lid off the basket. Sustaining the score throughout will be another thing I look for. Ohio State women's basketball also going to have plenty to work on after losing its season opener uh, to USC. Certainly a, a disappointing start for the Buckeyes given uh, how high the expectations are for them going into this year as a potential Final Four contender. Now with that being said, uh, I, I think USC is a team that has a chance to be uh, very, very good this year too. And a lot of that starts with Juju Watkins, the number one overall recruit in her recruiting class, uh, somebody who certainly has a potential to be a superstar in women's college basketball. She had 32 points in her collegiate debut, and so that had a lot to do with uh, the 83-74 loss for the Buckeyes. Uh, you look at a couple negatives for that game for the Buckeyes. They, they did get out-rebounded pretty badly, 43-28. to uh, they also uh, had some struggles from free point range, shooting only 23.8%, five of 21 from beyond the arc. And, uh, you know, those are a couple of things that are going to be significant questions for this Ohio State team. Uh, losing Taylor Mike Sell from last year, she was clearly their best free point shooter a year ago. And so uh, that's something that they're uh, working to replace. And it's clear that that's still a work in progress based on the performance in this first game. And uh, same is true for rebounding. That's an area where, uh, you know, they, they had some inconsistency last year. Uh, you know, they played a lot of small ball in this first game, you know, playing a lot of smaller players, not playing as many of their their, their true posts. And so uh, we'll see if they make any adjustments going forward uh, to try to improve the rebounding. Uh, one big positive, though, for the Buckeyes, I think uh, J.C. Sheldon, who dealt with an injury for most of last season, starting the year out with a 28-point game. And so she certainly appears to be fully back to the player she was a couple years ago. And that's going to be very important for a team that no longer has Taylor Mike Sell. Uh, certainly a lot of other talented players on this team, starting with Cody McMahon. Uh, Taylor Fury, Celeste Taylor, uh, plenty of players who have the potential to score a lot of points for this team, but J.C. Sheldon's really going to be the engine that makes the offense go. So uh, very important to see her uh, back to full form. Right. You know, um, the, so definitely some positive signs there, but also Again, it's the first game. I wouldn't put too much stock into the Ohio State loss. I, I think there's a, you still expect them to have a really good team this year with the pieces they have back, even without Taylor Mike Sell. Really, I think you want to see some more offensive consistency from Celeste Taylor in addition to what she brings on defense, but I'm still higher on the women's team than I am the men's team, uh, even as you know the lead men's writer here at 11 Warriors. But you know, a long basketball season ahead and still plenty of football left too. It's November, Dan. It's our busiest month of the year, and uh, we're 
we're, we're just in that grind set right now. That is for sure. Three more regular season football games to go, starting with Ohio State versus Michigan State at Fashu. 7.30 p.m. NBC, Saturday night. We will be there. Lots of coverage to come on 11warriors.com, and we'll be back here next week to talk about it all on RealPod Wednesdays.